All right, we have been studying the book of Colossians here for the last few weeks in our Sunday school time. And as we make our studies in Colossians, we were introduced last time to a, to a topic, uh, and, and the topic is reconciliation. When you think of reconciliation, what do you think about? Being brought together, okay? Uh, and I mean, it's a banking term, and that's what that means, is to reconcile. It's, it's two different things, and they are to be brought into agreement, okay? That's kind of that mindset of reconciliation. Uh, we were introduced to it last time we were together, uh, but Paul kind of just takes a little moment here and kind of draws a little bit more on this thought of reconciliation. So open your Bibles this morning, Colossians chapter 1. And we want to look at verse 21 uh, through 23 this morning. I really thought we would get a little further, but uh, as I was looking at this and kind of just searching on this and meditating on it, it didn't make it very far. So here we are. So Colossians 1 verse 21 says this, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, as we look at this, and Paul says here in verse 21, and you, who is Paul speaking to here when he says, and you? Okay, these are the believers of Colossae, aren't they? He's, he's writing this to a group of believers, and the, they are located in the city of Colossae. So this is the Church of Colossians, uh, First Federated Church of Colossae uh, was the name of the church. Uh, and so that's who he's writing to. That's who he's addressing in this passage is a group of believers. Now, when you look at this, and, he, and you see the next three words here, and I'm reading the English Standard Version, but the next three verse, words are, who once were. Now, as you think about that in grammatical terms, what grammatical term is he using there? Past, present, or future? Past tense here, isn't it? Okay, so he's speaking to them of their, of their condition uh, that once was. Now, as he shares about this former condition, what do you see about this former condition? What are some points that he makes here in that verse? They're alienated. They're alienated. When you think of alienated, what does that mean? What do you think about? Really separated. Okay, separated, okay. Separated. Separated, okay. Left alone. Left alone, okay. Uh, an outsider, okay. You're an outsider. So there's a group of people, and if you're alienated from them, you're an outsider, right? Move to a new community. See what that's like. Okay, for a while you'll be alienated there, won't you, until you get brought into the group. And so that is what we see here. Now, what else do we notice about them in this past tense state, Steve? And, and, enemies. Okay. Okay. They were they were enemies of God. All right. What else do you see? What's that? Evil behavior. So they were bad people, right? So he's writing to the people of Colossians. He's like, hey, you guys once had this evil behavior. All right. Anything else there? Formal. I think it's a big part. Of okay. Yeah. This is all past tense. It's all, it's all past tense. They're, that's, that's where they were. 
He says they were hostile in mind. Yes. When you think about hostile in mind, what comes to mind? Wicked. Wicked. Okay. Wickedness. Uh, thanks for not saying my spouse. Appreciate that. Uh, but that is that mindset is wickedness, right? Hostile in mind is that is a thought of wickedness. So as Paul is writing this to the group of believers, uh, he, he's speaking about their former condition and, and how they were. Now let's, let's look at Romans 8, verse 7. This is Romans 8, verse 7. And it says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So as we think about this mindset, as we think about being hostile in mind, uh, what is this, how does this define being hostile in mind? Set on the flesh. Set on the flesh, okay? If we're hostile in mind, we're set on the flesh, all right? Okay, we're enemies of God. As we think about hostile in mind, it says we are hostile to God. I don't know about you, but that kind of makes my palms sweaty. You think about picking the biggest enemy on the block, okay? We know who the biggest bully is, right? Is that the guy I really want to go up and sock in the nose? Not really. It makes my hands sweaty. But this is even bigger, isn't it? Hostile towards God. I don't know about you, but if you've ever shared Christ with somebody and, and you share with them that we are born enemies of God, that sometimes even will, will challenge an unbeliever to say, whoa, 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 I'm not, I'm not God's enemy. You know, they, they, were, they, they know who God is and they say, you know, I'm really not at war with God. But in that former condition, when we're hostile in mind, we really are hostile to God, aren't we? Because when we are when we are set on the flesh, that is in the other. This is in the other direction of where God would have us to be, right? So, in that condition, our mind is set on the flesh. We're hostile to God, and because we're hostile to God, what is the result? We do not submit. We do not submit. Uh, it's amazing how those two things go together, isn't it? If we're hostile to God, we're not going to submit. If our mind is set on the flesh, we're hostile to God and we're not going to submit. And this flesh thing and this submitting to God thing really do contradict, don't they? They are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, and we see that here. Uh, in this passage, and as Paul speaks about the people of Colossae, he sees them as being in that condition, alienated, hostile in mind, hostile towards God, unwilling to submit. Uh, and then it says, indeed, it cannot. A mind that is hostile towards God, a mind that is set on the flesh, a mind that does not want to submit to the law of God. It doesn't because it cannot. Why is that? It's impossible apart from God. Okay, apart from God, it is impossible. Why? Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Because of our old nature, 
That's who we are. A leopard cannot change its spots, right? A zebra cannot change its stripes, right? That's, that's their DNA. That's, that's how it works. That's our DNA. That's how we work. We are born uh, serving the flesh, hostile towards God, unwilling to submit to God because we cannot. That is the condition in which we are born. That is the DNA of our birth. That's what our parents, Adam and Eve, handed down to us. The keys to the Garden of Eden didn't get those. But we got all of these other things. Thoughts about that? Been saved by grace. Yeah, for sure. Thankfully, the book doesn't end here, right? Yes, for sure. All right, this is Ephesians 2. Now, the people in Ephesus had the same problem the people in Colossae had. They were born hostile towards God. Paul writes this. Remember that you were at that time, okay, past tense again, right? Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope without God in the world. So Paul, as he's writing this to the people of Ephesus, he lists some other problems that they have in that prior condition, right? That condition that we're born into, that DNA makeup that we have. Uh, not only are we hostile towards God, but we're separated from Christ. That's our condition. That's what we're born into. Hostile towards God, separated from Christ. And then he says, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. What does that mean? Oh, they're Gentiles. That's right. So Israel is God's chosen people. And here is Ephesus, a bunch of Gentiles. He says, you guys are separated from Christ. You didn't have any, didn't have any relationship with Christ. And you don't even have the promises that God has given Israel. Because you're alienated. You're an outsider even to the promises of Israel. So you really don't have any hope. That's the condition you were born into. Congratulations, that's your DNA. Okay? He says you were strangers to the covenants of promise. That's being outsiders of the common wealth of Israel. Having no hope. Having no hope. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? I mean, when we talk to people and, and they have no hope, and, and not even in regards to their relationship with Christ, but when they look at a situation and there's no hope there, uh, it's a pretty good chance I'm going to lose my job. Uh, I have no hope that my job is going to be safe. Uh, when we are in that state, it's, it's pretty discouraging, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's pretty discouraging. Uh, Paul doesn't say, hey, you know what? We were hanging in there. <laughs> it's okay, you know, grab some post-toasties and be happy. He says, hey, you know what? He just calls it like he sees it. He calls it like it is. Uh, you had no hope. Uh, without God in this world, without being separated from Christ, you have no hope. There's, there's, there's no other way. There's no, there's no gray area there. It's pretty black and white or black and orange, however you want to look at it. All right, that's, that's where he's at. All right? Now, unfortunately, he goes on to share with the people of Ephesus the consequences 
of being alienated from God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. How does he know they are sons of disobedience? How does he come to that conclusion? What's that? By their fruit? Okay. Okay. Not acting like it? Not not believing in him? Okay. Okay. Because they're following the devil instead of him? Alright. We're sons of disobedience? Okay. As we think about being sons of disobedience, we are hostile towards God, aren't we? Because we are born hostile towards God, we are sons of disobedience. Because of that, we are sons of disobedience. What's that? And the wrath of God is Okay. And as a result of that, being sons of disobedience, uh, being against God or opposed to God, the wrath of God is upon us. The wrath of God is upon us. That's, that's what Paul is saying, and that's what Paul is sharing here with the people of Colossae. That's what he's sharing here with the people of people of Ephesus. That is their condition. That's how they were. That's their DNA. That's where they were. As we look at this today, we can see what's happening to this nation as disobedient sons of disobedience right. today. Exactly. And, and exactly. It's just a sad situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, it's never happened before this year, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't this what's been going on since Adam and Eve made the choice? Okay. Uh, at that time, 100% of the world lived in rebellion against God. Okay. Uh, and as we move on, as we see that happening, I mean, we see uh, veins of it. We see uh, evidence of this. Uh, and as we think about this, on our own... There is no escape, is there? On our own, we have no hope. That's what that's what we see here in this that we're reminded of here. All right. Now let's go back to Colossians one and look at verse twenty-two. Verse twenty-one, speaking in past tense, right? Notice what he says in verse twenty-two. He has now. What is that? Past, present, future. Present. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So what took us from past tense to this present tense? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's the one who reconciled us, isn't he? We didn't reconcile us. He reconciled us. And notice it says, He has now reconciled us in His body of flesh by His death. That's how it's been reconciled. That's how we've been reconciled. Uh, I remember when uh, Darcy and I were, uh, we were in Bible school, had just been in Bible school for a little while. Uh, and I remember a, a major denomination uh, coming out and making this declaration. 
They said, one of the things that we need to do, and this was a higher up in this denomination, they said, one of the things that we need to do is we need to get away from the death of Christ. We need to get away from the blood of Christ. Mm. Because in today's day and age, that's just too that's just too much. We need to go and, and move away from that because of, uh, I can't remember the exact word he used, but basically it's why we don't watch the same cartoons we used to watch. Okay, It's just too, too much for us. We can't handle that. So we need to move away from that. When we get away from the death of Jesus Christ, what do we do? We have nothing. We go back to that hopeless state, don't we? We go back to that hopeless and helpless state. But it's the death of Jesus Christ that reconciles us to God. Okay? So, so God is here and he says, uh, the wages of sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all miss the mark. Okay? So this is all of us. Uh, a couple of you are a little lower, but we'll just do the average, okay? So this is all of us, okay? But God reconciled us in Christ Jesus. So God brought us up to his level Amen. with Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, okay? So God did that for us through Christ. We did not do that ourselves. So our old DNA is awful, but we need to be born again. Amen. Because when we are born again, we are placed in Christ, we are reconciled to where the Father would have us to be. No more separation. No more separation. No more alienation. But it has to happen through Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Christ is the one who reconciles. Any thoughts about that? He's the only way. He's the only way. Uh, Acts 4.12 tells us that there's salvation in no one else, right? Uh, it's only through him. Okay. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. No help. No help or no hope. Yeah, right. Both of those. In our former life, I mean, we love to sin. We didn't think nothing of it. Certainly. And you can tell when you're born again because now you hate that. You do everything you can. Not yeah. It's a, it's a change of everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a change of everything. That is so true. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts? Yes, Steve. You're going to have hope that you're going to be with him. Yes, yes. Changes our whole outlook on the future, doesn't it? We have assurance instead of being without hope or not sure. We have that assurance because of what, what Christ has done. And he gets all the glory. And he gets the glory. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, as we think about this, and we think about the condition that we are in, and, and the hopeless and the helpless state we are, uh, the only way it's possible for sinful man to be reconciled uh, is through Christ. There, there is no other way. It says there in verse 22, uh, in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So holy and blameless and above reproach. So when Satan comes to the Father and says, you know what, that Darren Lemon is just a worthless individual. And Jesus Christ says, he's with me. And Satan says, but, and Jesus says, he's with me. And God the Father looks at Jesus and says, okay, he's with you. You're free to come in. Okay? That's, that's the only way it's possible. 
Uh, and so even the accusations that Satan makes, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. I'm in Christ. Uh, that's, that's what I have. That I, ha I don't have another leg to stand on uh, because I'm a lemon. That doesn't help me. My DNA is so faulty that even though I am over six foot, still faulty DNA. Born separated from God, but in Christ, I've been reconciled. Because he was our substitute. He took our place. Because of his death. Our because of his and death. He gave us his righteousness yeah. based on what he accomplished yeah. on the cross. Nothing that we did. Yeah, exactly. We just believed. Exactly. He made him who knew no sin on to become sin on our behalf. Yeah. Now, look in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. And I just I was going to put this on the wall, but I just want you to look here and find it in your own Bibles. Uh, maybe someday we'll do a study on 2 Corinthians and we'll pick this apart further. But no, no guarantees, you know. We'll just wait and see what the Lord has for us. 2 Corinthians. It's kind of awful because this is not one of those books your Bible's broke into yet, huh? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Find verse 17 there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How is that possible? Because of Christ. We are born again. We go from this old condition, this past tense condition, now I'm in Christ. As a result of that, I'm a new creation in Christ. And notice the, the, the little phrase there. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In Christ. That's the key element there, right? In Christ. If I'm not in Christ, not a new creation. I'm still in the old. But if I'm in Christ, I am a new creation. But... Without Christ, I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I, I don't have any hope. All right? Old has passed away. Behold, new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled. Have you ever heard that term before? It's a banking term, right? Okay? Uh, all this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Uh, and so it's a God thing. God is the one who did this. But notice what happens next. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What in the world does that mean? Preach the gospel. Okay. As we go out, I mean, we proclaim the message of Christ to others, right? Because we're reconciled as stewards of our reconciliation. We have to go tell other people how to, recon how to be reconciled. All right? That's... That's what we do. That's what we have to do. Uh, I remember one time uh, when I left home and, and went to college, my parents gave me a checkbook. I worked all summer and, and put money in the bank and had a checkbook. And uh, the first time I'd ever had a checkbook in my life uh, before, it was just always cash. I just always had cash. And so that was how I lived. But so I had a, had a bank statement and I did really good for like four months. I was doing well. And uh, I would, I had to put all of my money in savings and then I would transfer out a little bit at a time into my checking. 
and then write checks against that. And so three, four months go by and I was doing pretty good. I get a phone call from my mom a little bit into December. She goes, hey, when's the last time you balanced your checkbook? I said, balance my checkbook, what do you mean? She said, reconciled it. I said, what do you mean? And she says, have you taken the bank statements that they've sent you and compared them with your checkbook? And I'm like, no, I've seen those come in and they have all my canceled checks. I have them in the drawer, but that's all I have. Remember when your bank used to send you the canceled checks? Yeah. I don't do it anymore. My writing was terrible. <laughs> uh, but I had never reconciled anything before. So I had to learn that, okay? Uh, but my mom, knowing how to reconcile, showed me how to reconcile, okay? Uh, and so as we think about this, we were born with that terrible DNA, not being reconciled with God. Now we are reconciled, we know the secret, right? So now we're in the business of reconciliation. So we go out and help others reconcile to God. Uh, and so that's the ministry that's been handed to Paul. That's the ministry that's been handed to us. All right, look at verse 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the key of reconciliation. That's the ministry uh, of reconciliation. So what is the result of us being reconciled? Okay, we are now ambassadors, okay? And as ambassadors, what is our task now? We're in the business of reconciliation. That's right. As ambassadors, as representatives of Christ, we are in the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that is what we do. That is the task that we have been given, to be reconcilers. Now, as we think about that task, Am I the one doing the reconciling as I've been given this task of ministry of reconciliation? I'm not, am I? I, I still don't handle the reconciliation. It's still a God thing that has to do the reconciliation, right? God is the one who does the reconciling. But I'm just telling them how to be reconciled, right? I'm just pointing them in the direction. Hey, I'm in the same boat. I was in the same boat you are. I needed reconciled. But now I know Jesus and he's the one who reconciles. So that's, that's what I have to do. That's my ministry. That's what I now do is in the business of reconciliation. All right. Questions about that or thoughts about this? Uh, what happens as a result of our reconciliation? We're just messengers. We hand that out. Ambassadors. Yeah. yeah. And we're just representing them. Yeah. That's so, what an ambassador does, right? That's why we're here. Yeah. yeah. God didn't, I mean, we're born again. Yep. We could go right to heaven. Yeah. But God has us here for that reason. Carrying on that Until ministry. Until he calls us home. Right. And that's right. what our, he's commanded us to go out into the world. That's the ministry that he's given us. Yeah. Yep. Because we were reconciled. Right. right. Any other thoughts? We don't have. We're joint heirs with him. Okay. We don't have an excuse of not having the message because he says right here, I have given you the words to say okay. for reconciliation. Okay. 
right? Uh, and, and isn't that what a witness does, is just share what he saw, what he experienced? And with this ministry of reconciliation, as believers, have we experienced reconciliation? Yes. We have, right? Because without reconciliation, we don't have anything. But because we've experienced it, now we're going on and sharing. Uh, I was, when I was a salesman, I, someone said that people will look to you as the expert. And wait a second, I'm not an expert. But if you know just a little bit more than the person who's asking, you're the expert. Mm -hmm. Don't compare yourself with somebody else who knows more than you. Compare yourself to the one who's asking the question. So us, because we've been reconciled, we're experts in reconciliation, right? Because we know more about reconciliation than the unbeliever does. Now, certainly as we look in the mirror, we know we're not experts in reconciliation. But compared to unbelievers, because we know what reconciliation is, we're experts in reconciliation. That's, that's where it's at. And just like in Ephesians, when Paul says to remember what your past was like. Okay. That that is a format for what you can share why you are reconciled to God is because your past life was not okay. God honoring. Okay. Showed why I needed to be reconciled. Yep. Okay. Now let's go back to Colossians one here just for a minute uh, before Judy rings another annoying ring. Verse twenty-three says this if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, uh, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So as we look at verse 23 there, what is the evidence of true reconciliation? Continuing on. Continuing on. Continuing uh, on. When you continue in the faith, when you remain stable and steadfast. What happens if I'm reconciled to God, okay, and I'm unstable and I'm not steadfast in this reconciliation process? People can wonder if I'm truly saved, right? But if I've been reconciled and I'm stable and steadfast in my reconciliation, then the evidence is there, right? So that's evidence. If, if that's where I'm at, if that's how I'm walking, if there's, if people can see and recognize that I've, that I've been reconciled, uh, that is the evidence that points to the fact of true reconciliation. So as we look at this, what do we take home from this? I mean, as we think about these verses here, uh, and this thought of reconciliation. Okay, apart from Christ, there is no hope. What's that? Okay. We need to be grounded in his word. Okay. We are ambassadors to Christ. Okay. As a result of our reconciliation, we are now ambassadors, and it's up to us to go and to proclaim. Okay. That's what you were thinking, too. Uh, I think as I look at this and I think about this, I think the first thing that I have to do is to make sure I'm reconciled, right? Uh, I mean, it's easier for me to look and say, okay, the Joneses really need reconciled, and the Smiths, well, they're keeping up with the Joneses, so they need to be reconciled. Okay? That's easy for me to do. 
But I need to make sure that I've been reconciled. Uh, and if I am sure, stable and steadfast in my reconciliation, and I'm certain of that, then I can go help the Joneses and I can help dismiss and share with them about reconciliation, right? Uh, but it does all begin with Christ, doesn't it? It all begins with Christ. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer, shall we?